hello. Uh, this is Ian McKellen, uh, welcoming you to the cast audio commentary of The Fellowship of the Ring. Welcome uh, to the DVD. Welcome. Okay. And for the next three and a half hours, uh, we'll be remembering what it was like uh, to film and contribute to Peter Jackson's movie. Strap yourself in. It's going to be a long ride, but I tell you what, it's going to be enjoyable. It'll be bumpy. <laughs> I feel it in the earth. It's pretty captivating when it's a, a complete black screen. Black screen, yeah. I like it that it doesn't say um, a Peter Jackson film. Uh, and I think it's a, a point of some pride um, uh, from Peter that he doesn't put his name right up at the top. It's, it's Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. A lot of people don't realize that the Lord of the Rings is Sauron. Who else could it be? He didn't make all the rings. He made the one ring, personally, which rules all the others, the ones that were given to the dwarves, to the elves, to mortal men, and so on. But he made the one ring. There was one point when uh, Gandalf's voice uh, was going to be telling the story, and uh, I, I made a plea for that. Um, I think I was told, oh, Ian, you've got enough to do in this movie without doing the prologue as well. But uh, I'm not sure when you watch it whether you could guess that this was uh, Galadriel or, or you might recognize uh, that it was Kate Blanchett, which is not at this point quite the same thing. There was some question whether it was actually going to be as long as it is uh, in the film as well. I'm glad they kept it at this length. Yeah, it's essential, isn't it? It's, you have yeah. to show how important that ring is. And lacing it with the map is just oh, great. Brilliant. It was one of the things I was actually look, looking forward to the most is seeing that map on screen. Here we go. Hugo's coming up now. Hugo weaving. Hugo's v well versed in uh, in battle now. He yeah. sure is. He's the had Matrix. Some practice. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, I remember when we got to New Zealand and during the uh, the prep stuff, and Peter showed us the animatic, those yeah. sort of storyboards that were um, made as a little film with. with you know, and he had hired actors to do That's the voices right, yeah. and there was music on it and everything. I, finally, I mean, I'd read the prologue to the book like four times and in the screenplay three times and it just, I don't know, for some reason, it's like my brain doesn't work. I just didn't understand it. When I saw it visually, it, it, uh, it was the first time that it sort of made, the world made sense to me. Mm. Yeah. Just as you're beginning to be reminded of Monty Python uh, epics, you know, the semi-religious language uh, of t Tolkien and the... Uh, sense that uh, actors are impersonating the fate uh, of the world. Uh, suddenly Peter pulls out a shot. Uh, it might be a close-up or it might be a, a massive shot of soldiers uh, meeting their doom. Uh, and and uh, what's happening is uh, Peter is defying you to, to mock and, and uh, is gently in that way of his uh, grabbing hold of the audience's attention as you might get hold of someone's wrist and saying, oh, come on, come on, trust me, it's going to be worth it. That's why uh, I like Prologue, that uh, it, by the end of it you are within the world and, and you want it explained better and, and more deeply. And uh, 
then of course your emotions are, are, are going to be involved and of course once the director's got an audience's emotion uh, then he's got uh, their attention this um, narration which is actually hard to speak over because it's so brilliant but um, the, it was originally written for, for Frodo to do and I'm so glad that they changed it for Kate because it's in, in some ways, it's so much more relevant. Mm. Yeah. Well, for an elf who's been around for thousands, thousands of years, years, she would have known she was all of this. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah it would have ruined it if you would have done it because then there's no it jeopardy. Any, it's it like doesn't make any sense. Frodo clearly makes it because he's going to talk about the history of it afterwards. Absolutely. Once he's gone through it all. Just because you write about something or you read about something, you don't necessarily have to show it. In fact, very often what you don't see is far more effective, frightening, suggestive, erotic than what you do see. Sometimes it's vital. You talk about the ring slipping off Isildur's hand, goes down into the water, that lovely shot of the hand coming down. You don't know whose hand it is. It would take too long to explain that it's found by the two hobbits because Gollum, of course, is a hobbit. But it's Diagol who finds it. Gollum says to him, what's that? He said, that's, I found that. I wants it. I wants it. For my birthday present. I wants it. And he kills him. Oh, look at that shot. I love that. That's so great. That is straight from The Hobbit. Yeah. Riddles in the dark. When he turns and his hair catches the light there, it's just mm. attention to detail. I think Gollum looks amazing in this, this sequence. Mm. I, I mean, I remember reading the book uh, for the first time and um, reading The Hobbit when I was about 14 or something, but I remember Go and this Gollum is perfect, you know. I mean, when I saw that, I thought, you know, that was just a tiny taster and it was just such a tease, perfect tease for it because he's such a sort of wretched and withering and sorrow, sorrowful kind of being and I just I remember seeing that thinking my word and also you know Andy Serkis what, a, what an incredible job he did I remember thinking talking of Gollum I remember seeing Andy Serkis cough up the ring like um, as Gollum it was kind of it was just unbelievable the transformation that the guy made to, to actually like he did this whole retching sound for Gollum and it was unbelievable brilliant just that bit there, I remember when they filmed that, and uh, Ian Holm uh, had that kind of facelift. <laughs> they, they taped his face back to, right. to, to make him look younger. It was great. <laughs> it great. Oh, is this an extra added uh, map bit that wasn't included? I love it. I absolutely love anything oh, with the map. it's in three dimensions as well. Yeah, it's cool. Oh, fantastic. Hobbiton. There we go. See, that kind of shows how big Middle-earth is. Oh, that's yeah. actually really smart to kind of do a bit of an... It's good. People. And how big the Shire is, you yeah. know, it's not just a village. Yeah, yeah. that's one thing in the film, when when you saw it without some of that stuff, you, the Shire looked like it could, was just as big as, you know... As Hobbiton, mm. maybe. Interesting. The original title for Fellowship was over the map, and... Uh, oh, nice. Oh, God, yeah. Dot, 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 three dots. <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course. And there's Bilbo. Oh, is he drawing, writing letters now? There and back again. I remember Elijah was uh, taught calligraphy for a while in New Zealand, weren't you? That's right. So oh, you, yeah. you really came on leaps and bounds, man. Thank I was you, man. Really, very impressed by that. Very, Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> very good.
Oh, that was cool. Did you see the shot of the hobbits? Yeah. In relation to the yeah. oxen? Oh, I wonder if they put the shot back in of Sam gardening. I was so... I really wanted a shot of Sam gardening. Oh, yeah? And we didn't do it originally, and then when we went back to do reshoots sort of six months later, uh-huh. they added one shot in. I bet, it, I bet it's in here. Oh, this oh is, uh, that's Percy the Peg. He stayed in my hotel room for a couple of <laughs> Really nice guy. Oh, he's, um, he, uh, he's a Leighton guy. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I think Ian Holm was just the perfect choice for Bilbo Baggins. In fact, I can't think of anyone better. There's Zoe. Zoe? Yeah. One of the uh, people that were. She was. Out. She set the tone for the work ethic for everybody on the movie. She I don't know, I don't so know that hard, man's so name that, that she was talking to, but he was the quintessential hobbit. Yeah. For all of the hobbit sequences that we had. Is that that's unbelievable? Sam, right? And of course, at this point, the audience is introduced to the idea, look at that blue sky and the, the bright colours here, that each episode in the, in the story is, 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 has its own colour, and, and the colours here are, are bright and green and, and yellow and uh, sunny. Hobbits like fresh tilde. This is in Hamilton, which is probably one of the most uh, special times that, that I had doing the movie. Just, I mean, look at the place, it's like paradise. We stayed at the... Do you, do you remember the name of the hotel we stayed I don't at? remember the name of it, but that was my favourite place favorite that we ever hotel. stayed I'm in New Zealand. Them. We should give them a plug, we should find out. Although it did have a lot of mosquitoes, remember that? Yeah. Did you end up moving Are you out, talking about that uh, no, bed and I, breakfast? Ian did. You stayed uh, Because them. of the mosquitoes, and I ended up in Ian's room. Hang on, here we go. Here's the money shot. Who's that? Who is this shady character hidden behind it? What? He's up. Oh. oh. He was in Deep Impact. Yeah, Are you sure? You can't tell from this, but there, there was a, a, a wind blowing, uh, and uh, that hat was a bit of a problem. Having been a part of the production, and yet not really having been a part of Hobbiton, I just, when I first saw this, I just was like... Isn't this just the place everybody wants to have grown up? I remember thinking, this is just such a beautifully safe and happy environment. Very much like New Zealand, I have to say. When I return to New Zealand now, I kind of feel like you're returning to Hobbiton. Goosey Goosey Gandhi. What a great introduction. Mm. Oh, it's fantastic. I think Ian had a great time in Hamilton as well. Just hanging around the Hobbits and him being the only wizard. There's a bit in this shot that I don't know how they did it though. Well, you see both of you together there, just just before that shot. Really? Yeah. That's a a forced perspective shot. How far behind are you? Um, I'm about two feet behind. Right. And the size of the... um, of the pole of, of the cart was different from my side than it was for his. Right. Weird. Look at that, that's stunning. Now, you can't tell from this that, um, um, that, that, that <laughs> there was an idea of Fran Walsh, or, or was it Philippa Burns, uh, that uh, Gandalf should have um, just given up smoking. Uh, I think they were a little bit worried that um, New Line or the censors or... or People who don't like smokers were going to object to the number of uh, characters that smoke in the movie. And, of course, uh, Gandalf is a principal one. And uh, we're not altogether certain what weed it is he's putting into his pipe in the 60s. It was quite clear uh, that it was um, some uh, hallucinogenic uh, weed. Um, uh, And so Gandalf had just given up smoking. And and, and all the scenes in the cut uh, involved him... um, 
not smoking, but um, sucking toffees. So all his, all his dialogue came through um, sucking of um, caramel candy. And then I think we did another version with the pipe, and uh, that was the version that, that won through. I, I rather liked that, that idea. It was a little bit cheeky. It, it, uh, it was acknowledging that the world's moved on a little bit since the, the uh, books were written. Uh, and and um, there was a nice point when sitting with uh, Bilbo um, before the, the night before the party, um, Gandalf gives in and, and, and has his first pipe for a long time. Uh, and then in the... Um, Council of Elrond, uh, the toffee bag made a reappearance because uh, that was an occasion which uh, clearly one Rivendell was a non-smoking uh, establishment and uh, so Gandalf had to go back to his toffees. That's all gone. Those mouth movements that he has <laughs> are, are unbelievable. <laughs> I remember feeling like we were a big traveling circus when we showed up here. It was like <laughs> yeah. 4.35 in the morning, just as the sun was about to start coming up, that sort of pre-dawn light, and, and we show up at the set, and just beyond the hills of what you can see in the Shire, you, there were 50 trucks and huge tents set up <laughs> where all the you know these little hobbit kids were getting their feet put on early in the morning, and you just sort of thought, wow, man, we're it's like a big traveling yeah. circus. This little guy with his face as he reacts to seeing the... Uh, the fireworks bust out of the back, you know, the kids. This is just so Peter and Fran, this moment for me. This is like, only they could have brought this in, you know. It's just, isn't that fantastic? It just warms your heart, that bit. And this guy loving it, and then, look. I love that. Those colours. I remember they were doing the, um, the digital, Digi grading. digital grading. Yeah. And uh, I walked in, and, and they were still for ages trying to figure out the, how green, uh, how green. yellow, yeah. They they could not find the right green. Because they wanted it to look real, but also but brilliant. But it started to go all brown, and mm. they couldn't mm. figure it out. Amazing. I remember feeling really passionate that they had to get... That I want. I needed them to get that right. Oh, <laughs> like, absolutely. As a, Just as an audience member, like, I, the Shire has got to be so lush and so green and so, but so real. Because the were really, were really brown. Well, it, but it also it looked fantasy, and mm. it's like to me, I didn't want it to be a fantasy. I wanted it to be a history, mm. and so you know, the Shire. I wanted it to just be natural. Totally. Working with Ian Holm on this couple of days, whether we were together or not, uh, was two of the happiest days of my professional life. I, I've been a admirer of his since I, I saw him play Henry V at Stratford upon Avon when I when we were both young. Um, I, I certainly marked him down as, as um, the greatest actor of his generation on stage. Against all the odds, you know, a, a noticeably small man, and these things matter in, in the theatre, but uh, his inner strength was so huge uh, that his uh, physicality uh, was irrelevant. I think this is one of Ian Holmes' great film performances, you know. It's very daring performance. It's, it, it risks uh, being thought to be too melodramatic in, in that he, he's, he, he shows an awful lot on his face and uh, draws attention to the fact that it's an impersonation of the character. This isn't a documentary, this is a bit of storytelling, and uh, Ian sets, sets the, the tone for that. Ian would tell you himself, and, and I was privileged to, to hear it during the course of these uh, 
working with him, his approach to acting. He makes every take, and there may be many takes of any scene, and he has a score, uh, makes every take different. Not willfully, he just goes with it and feels it in the moment. This is why he always looks so fresh. Presents the whole kaleidoscope and detail uh, of the character and, and lets the uh, director choose what he wants. And, and so uh, an Ian Home performance doesn't exist until the director's decided what it should be. It's a very, very generous way of acting and uh, takes enormous risks, of course, uh, because you risk making a fool of yourself. Um, I'm a little bit more careful. It's great. He's so outrageous, Ian Holm. <laughs> I love what he did with Bilbo. And the, one of the quietest, most gentlemen you'll ever meet in your mm. life. I remember begging him to, not begging him, but asking him to autograph my you book. You beg, stop it, you did. <laughs> Pleading, sort of shamelessly guilting him into uh, signing my book. And he wrote something great like, you know, Sean, at last we we finally met. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't hear about mine. What did he say? I, yeah. gave, him, I gave him my book, uh, left it in the trailer, and um, I, evidently he didn't know it was mine, so I got my book, my book back and it said, um, uh, all the best. <laughs> you know. Yeah, you know. <laughs> cool. Oh, no. <laughs> Well, he, he left you bag end. He leaves you, uh, you know, wealth and riches. What else do you want? So I, I had him sign it again. I was actually really nervous to ask um, Kate Blanchett. Mm. It, it was uh, you and me, Dom. Remember? Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember. So I don't think I was as nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I just ran in. Sign it. Stop. You know, my dad's been confused for Ian Holm twice, two separate occasions on I holiday. I can see that. Oh yeah, I can see that. You Ian Holm. I can definitely see that. Uh, a much younger version. Yeah, yeah. It's just amazing how quickly he changes kind of mood and emotion and stuff. Yeah. Mm. I like what Ian is doing with his, his body language, his posture. I mean, he's mm. really like this big, giant yeah. wizard in this room. And it's so not his own body frame when you see him. I mean, he's, mm. he's a delicate guy. I love this line. So do I. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. Butter scraped over too much bread. Toast. Toast. Yeah, I was on toast. What was that? I think it was bread, actually. A toast? Is it time for 11? Here's to Sean. The show, This scene, oh, one of my favourite moments from the whole movie. It's like the quiet before the storm. That complete bliss of just enjoying a smoke after a meal and then Gandalf blowing a, a huge ship through that ring. It's just fantastic. Such a wonderful idea, straight from Tolkien, and so delicately managed. All these pyrotechnics and, and the smoking are, are so believable uh, that you know you're in very, very safe hands for, for the telling of this story. And I, I think that's what's very ingenious about these, about these Hobbiton scenes, is that you know it's going to be all right, but there's a storyteller here who's going to use every device of modern filmmaking and put it at the disposal of telling a, a story which is going to get increasingly more fascinating. Okay, there's a, there's a few notes about the scene, by the way, for anyone. Yeah, like watching. they made us do a week of, uh, of, of dance and they rehearsals and they didn't put they didn't it in the movie. Much. Billy also, was playing Billy, an instrument as well. Yeah, and Billy and Dom also change um, uh, like spots uh, through, throughout the scene in various, uh, various times. Mm. Now, could you see you there playing? I was playing in a band, yeah. Yeah, thanks. Playing the band. Isn't that just the best firework display in the world? <laughs> Very cool. Wow. And and you're there's a shot of you carrying the cake. Yeah. Dumb, and then suddenly you're on stage. Yeah. Or you were on stage just before. Yeah. Pete loves all that stuff. There's oh, Billy, Billy, Katie, uh, and Billy. Billy and Katie. About how they were going to cook us. 
I just think these kids, if they ever wanted to grow up as actors, they're just, look at that face. She's so in the moment. She's like. <laughs> His kids are absolute magic. So good. I adore these two. Now, hang on. This is the entrance to end all entrances. Look at this. Oh, my God. There we are. If that is not two movie stars. Cheeky. <laughs> we really look like hobbits here. Yeah. The whole reaction thing. <laughs> Very cool. Pete allowed me to do this. I, I, I went for it. I said, let me bite the apple at the end. And eat. You love the apples. Yeah, I just thought... Do you I, remember I always did, wanted Mary to keep eating and eating and eating. did one take where I ran past and caught my neck on that rope. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was like the camera was running. Oh, yeah. this is the Sackville oh. ba Baggins' bit that was cut out. Oh, yeah. Well, that's between Listen. Ian and I. His ears twitch when he when they're around. Very cool. Help him hide here. I flew over from uh, from London with Billy, and I met him. Um, I met him at the uh, foreign exchange, one of the foreign exchange counters, and there are numerous within uh, Heathrow. But uh, we we'd, we'd pass through the check-in, and and I'd, I met him at the foreign exchange counter. I was like, I walked up to the counter and I said, "Could I get some New Zealand dollars?" And uh, Billy was just walking past, and he just turned to me and he said, you must be an elf. And I was like, Billy Boyd! And we just had this massive hug. Never met him before, had no idea what he was going to look like, and it was just amazing. So I flew over with Billy, and um, it was a great introduction. We, we sat on the plane and learnt the, learnt the, uh, the ring, the poem, the ring poem at the beginning of the book together, and it was like, it was just great. That noise is Billy, Billy shrieking screaming like a girl, like a girl. <laughs> because he thought that his pants were on fire. Is that really? Was that nobody, left on the soundtrack? Yeah. Nobody, nobody told us that it was actually going to blow up. You know, uh, yeah. I thought we were just going to do that and then we'd do the blowing up bit later. <laughs> so it did blow up. I shrieked, wet myself. Yeah, I kind of laughed. He laughed. And, uh, and they kept the take. So. And he has called me pissy legs since. <laughs> This is great. This next shot of us guys coming up after the fireworks. It took them about 40 minutes to change our look to this. Look at those faces. And we came out singing Chim Chimney from uh, Mary Potton's uh, Looking Like Chimney Sweeps. That was a laugh that great day, fun. wasn't it? We had really good fun that day. It was a riot that day. This was good. I still well. have pictures of you guys like that. This is all forced perspective as well. Yeah. Where the, this table's all a different shape, do you remember? Mm. It was on different levels and yeah, so the, the, bigger in the front where Ian is and smaller yeah, in the back where yeah. you are. I was about two foot behind Ian. I was always nervous as to how they were going to um, have the, the ring bearer disappear. You know, oh, how right, me as well. If they were going to do a kind of Star Warsy thing, you know, it's very <laughs> selective kind of. Thing. See for the reaction shots of the Hobbits. Did, did you not read this? Was he in there? Dom? Um, did you not read it one oh, time? Oh, that's for, right. Yeah, they had, they had me doing like a jack of all trades. I read this speech uh, for the crowd. And then also when Ian finds the ring at the very start and Gollum says, my precious. Yeah, you were Andy's Gollum. circus wasn't there, so I was Gollum for a day, which is great because it was the only scene I ever did with just Ian Holm. So mm, that's so cool. I think... Uh, that's movie. why it was like a student film, uh, a big budget, you know, student like film. It. Because it, depending on where you were, out on an abandoned location or something, you would. I mean, lots of times I'd help people Extra carry duties. batteries, you yeah. know, up to a set or to a location or something like that. And you know, it was, it was all for the, it was all for the, 
the good of the movie. Mm. It was the mentality. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Goodbye. I love that sound effect. <laughs> you know, they actually had Ian Holm in this scene and then they took him out digitally. It's really clever. There he is. I can just... Can you still make him out? There he is. There it... No, hey. he's gone. There he is. <laughs> Very good. I can... Can you guys not see him? I, I can see him. There he is. See? Oh, yeah. yeah. He was there all the time for me, though. <laughs> we were not uh, doing this together. Uh, we, we, this was filmed on separate occasions, so Ian's looking up into space and so I'm looking down into it and, and the island wasn't quite accurate there. There are many magic rings. None of them should be used lightly. None of them should be used lightly. It was just a bit of fun. The cinematography in this scene is awesome. Unbelievable. The effect that they do on Ian where he just starts to go all dark around Don't him. take me for a conjurer of cheap tricks. Mm. As often as I can spare them. That's, that's when he becomes a wizard. That's when you sort of yeah. go like, oh, oh, okay, so he's a wizard. And I love it here where you see Ian get Ian Holm get taken over by the ring and become quite nasty. And, and that little punch him. that he does yeah. is unbelievable. You want it for yourself? One of my favorite moments in the movie. Very cute. You know, somebody who who I think is just needs mentioning as well is um, when I first saw it as well. What Howard Shaw did with the music—it's so mind blowing. I just think the subtlety, the his his ability to sort of layer it in there, like it's a perfect complement to this film, and it's almost like it's not there. You know, it's like it just it just the subtlety in the way it kind of adds to the tension and of the drama of the moment. It's just, I was so impressed at, at every level, at every stage of the of the journey and, and, and of the film. You just, the way that the music underscores it so subtly. I think that's the talent, you know, right there. Just as an actor, watching him work the different camera angles with his face, I mean, he's just such a genius. It's hard to talk during this. It's so captivating. Mm. I've seen it in far too many times to mention, but... That's big acting, but it's worth it, isn't it? Because you, 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 you know some big things are at stake. Ah, oh, fantastic. Oh. The sound of the wood creaking in yes. the background yeah. is awesome. It's as if Bag End is stretching. Yeah. It's so sweet, Gandalf. I, I think Ian McKellen does such a fantastic job in, in these sequence, in these scenes with, with the hobbits. Childlike little hobbits. Mm. But he just—he's he's like the the granddaddy, you know, of the of the whole film. You know, he's like the the kind of—he is the wise old grey wizard that we turn to. But um, it just—it just speaks for his, uh, you know, the way he portrayed the portrayed the role, you know. The ring must go to. I think we were all quite worried about the scale issue, but it just—it works seamless. so well. It yeah. does. It really does. Yeah, I was worried. I mean, some of the early footage that we saw where they were using the scale doubles and stuff, it just was so obvious to me that it wasn't, you know, you, me, or you, yeah. or, yeah. you know. But it's amazing. Well, like this next shot of him walking away is Kieran, right? Yeah. Also, when he drops the ring onto the floor, they had a magnetic floor, so they... Did they? Yeah, so the, ring, so the ring wouldn't bounce. As it, as it hits the floor, it sticks by magnet to the other side of the floor. Oh, that's fantastic. Isn't that great? How did you know that? I'm clever, man. There you go. The weight of, of the one ring. Exactly. Oh, that's so cool. That's great. I didn't know that. Well, you need to just kind of learn. I suppose if I watch the DVD, I'll, I'll get that. Yeah, sort of there you thing. go. Now, that exterior 
the shot just before that was uh, was actually on the set because they did have the exterior of of the opening to Bag End yeah. uh, on the stage. Oh, yeah. It's one of the things that you that took a long time for me to get used to the idea of having trust and faith in was Peter's complete confidence that a shot inside the set here and just a quick reverse that's actually outside in Hamilton where you see what's going on in the... Sh- I mean, it's so seamless. And, and they were done... Shots were done... I mean, this shot was done maybe five months later than the shot two yeah. shots previous. It's all of these little bits, which is something I think all of us had to get used to because everything was shot. Like right there, that's segment. on the set in Wellington. Mm. And the shot just outside before that was in Hamilton about five, you know. And that was probably an insert 400 shot miles not away. even done on that day of mm. the ring, you know what I mean? Probably like the Richard Block unit. But it just goes to show you that when you, you know. Wow, I love that. FBI. That scared the bejesus out of me the first <laughs> time I saw it in the cinema. Really made me jump. The voice for Gandalf, uh, you know, I I, I I thought of a man who smoked a bit too much, so there was a little rasp in the voice. And, um, he was of a certain age, of course, and the voice does get a bit tired. I, I, I thought it right that he should be have a, a received English pronunciation because probably like Tolkien and all the characters in the story are like Tolkien. Uh, he was of that middle class that would speak with that sort of voice, cultured so voice, an Oxford voice. I wanted him to sound a little bit old-fashioned, a little bit careful with the way he spoke. And um, when I listened to Tolkien uh, reading bits from Lord of the Ring, uh, it was confirmed that Tolkien had a voice rather like that himself, and so I was happy that uh, Gandalf should too hit that very, very early on, and it just seemed right when matched with the um, the makeup. I had a stamp. I have a wax stamp with a D on it. They're so cool. Do you really? Yeah, I do. It's the coolest thing in the world. I've got a wax stamp with um, with the uh, the Japanese letters for Frodo. That's right. I got mine in Japan as well. Well done. Well, well I look forward to having a correspondence. I will never know. send you a letter. Well, ever. thank you very much. Ever. I'll send you one, brother. Thank oh. you. Thank yeah. you, Elijah. It's very yeah. sweet. Just to let everybody know, Ian does not have uh, a nose like that. No. <laughs> it's, a, it's a prosthetic piece. I wouldn't like people to think that he had a kind of beak. Put your eye These on. shots, are, to me, with the, with the combination of the miniatures, I mean, that's uh, just the coolest. There's a lot of elements at play here. I know. It's, it's all these different digital elements, the scenic... I mean, it's just awesome. Because mm. that, that right there, I mean, as a, an actual building... That's is a, a model. Miniature. That's a miniature. And the guys spent... A year building it mm. and crafting it. All those it. tiny little candles as well. Mm. Mm. Those are digital. <laughs> that was my little sh- aha. No, but the thing. I know that. I know that. Here they come. Awesome shot. Doors open. Here come the boys. A shot like that reminds you of a western, doesn't it? And yet you're in a landscape you've never seen before. Oof. That's know. awesome. And the sound just makes it work so yeah. great. A little taste of Minas Tirith, yeah, to be uh, to be seen at a later date in full. It's funny, they, you know, it's technically a miniature because it's not the size of a real city, but it's huge when you walk into the building and see other me. To me, that's mm. like that's the thing that after seeing the movie five, six, the seven bigotures. times, I start. They're bigotures. They're bigotures. Makes it sound because like that that seemingly insensitive. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> two seconds ago, when uh, Ian was walking up the street. That must have been in the real Minas Tirith, which was like only built on 
the last three months or something. Isn't that shooting. incredible? Yeah. yeah. It's a great scene from the gag room in <coughs> where he's rifling through paper and he comes across script pages. And rips them apart. <laughs> yeah, every day, that's something people watching the DVD probably don't know, every day they were constantly rewriting, polishing, adjusting, writing scenes for the sets that were almost finished being built that we were going to be shooting on 48 hours later or something like that. Yeah. Also, I think, in an attempt to get as you know, closer and closer to Tolkien. While sort of straddling that fine line between yeah. the antiquated language that might not resonate with a contemporary audience, but being true to it at the same time. Mm. They, did a, they did a phenomenal job. Uh, you're not so tough, Dougie. Well, here's one question that someone had is, is, do hobbits have dogs like that? This guy does. <laughs> not, not for long. Yeah. Uh, fantastic. He reminds me of you, Bill. I think he's a toque. You think he is? Yeah, he kind of. He looks, does look so does look like you. That hobbit hole is just the just the facade, right? Just yeah. The front little faceplate of a hobbit. Hole. Yeah. Oh, here oh, we go. Yes. Green dragon. Finally. This was something that we really, really fought to get in the film and unfortunately didn't make it. Devastating that it wasn't in the film. Because, well, I mean... It's such a hobbit moment. We're drunk. Not in... <laughs> not in real life. You guys owned that song. Yeah. It was so good. It was a long, nerve-wracking day singing in front of all those people. Yeah. It was. We d yeah, we did fight for that. I mean, mainly because it, it establishes the relationship between us which is awesome, and you also get a sense of the, the kind of sweeter, happier moments before the journey. Yeah, season. you seldom see hobbits behaving, you know, as they really should do. And nice moments with uh, with Sam there as well. Yeah. He knows an idiot when she sees one. I love that. Nice, nice. Oh, that was a fantastic shot of BK just there, uh, yeah. doing the drunken Sam walk. <laughs> For people who don't know, BK is uh, is three feet four inches tall, probably, mm. in reality. Something like that. And he's from India. He's a gorgeous man, incredible chess player. Great I chess love player. red wine. <laughs> and had a uh, had a very interesting sort of head jiggle. I don't it's know, very sort of, characteristic of Indian. Yeah, people. it was a kind of sort of confidence, mm. you know. To say yes. Thing. To say yes, they kind of shake their head. Yeah, like, yes. As if it were no. I can't believe Elijah was 18. When he started filming this, I cannot believe that the guy was 18 and he he assumed the responsibility of pretty much leading this band of merry, this fellowship of merry races and individuals. He's such a courageous young man, you know, at that age, you know, and, and, and I mean, he's sort of worldly wise anyway, you know, he's sort of inert wisdom that, you know, somebody who's... He's been well brought up and also experienced life on many different levels through work, I would imagine, as well. But he um, he did an incredible job. I, I'm thinking now of something that will be seen in the third movie, in the end of the end of the third movie, you know, right at the end. And uh, I remember seeing a shot in that, the fire, the Mount Doom, you know. Where I remember seeing some rushes from that, which will be coming out in the third movie, obviously. And um, And I just thought, my God, the guy... He just transformed, you know. He went on this journey as a hobbit and, uh, you know, as a young hobbit leaving the Shrier and becoming this kind of warrior hobbit and human, you know. As a hobbit and a human, Elijah grew immensely over this whole production and I, I'm constantly amazed at his, um, 
his sensitivity and his look and his you know his 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 sort of handle on the character and and the dialogue and I know as an actor to try to do to do an accent is not easy it's just a, not an easy thing to do it can really block you and yet he just embraced it and went with it and uh, very very talented young guy I've had several people ask me in all sincerity if your eyes were digitally enhanced I know I've yeah. been asked the same question by far too many people <laughs> And, that, and I keep saying, no, no. It's, well, the it's, thing that, that always gets me is they're like, do you wear contacts? I said, yes, I do. Ah, ah, uh, contacts. Busted. No, not clear contacts. Really clear, um, bad vision. No, yeah. but not just for the color. People want to know if your eyes are made bigger on screen. Yeah. Right? yeah. yeah. They did have to mess around with your eyes a little bit, though, because you are quite cross-eyed in real life, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just nice, because that's not very movie star life. You it's need not. to look straight, you know? I know. I've got my own digital enhancer that travels with me everywhere yeah. I go. I remember the the first day my daughter met you, it was like uh, I fell in love. Oh, she that. fell in love. She looked at your eyes and and it was like you two mind melded. It was amazing. Oh, she's wonderful. Mind melded. That's great, John. Mind melded. I'm gonna write that down. I was lucky not to uh, to be basically using my own voice and my own accent. Um, you forget, don't you, that Elijah Wood is not. Uh, he he's always speaking with a foreign accent, effortlessly, but. Uh, Nevertheless, you had to pronounce Mordor. You had to get those resident R's. That was my first blue screen shot. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That's great. Walking on a blue board. Do you remember when they used this shot in every trailer? Yeah, I got kind of sick of it myself. <laughs> I was in a movie theater, and it was later in the sort of half-life of that trailer. Uh-huh. And everybody was saying the line along with you out loud. No. Yes, they were. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. It was awesome. This Actually, is an awesome shot. These these are my favorite shots in the movie. These, like, the anvils and the iron. Oh, poor oh, God. Look at them go. Some of the most incredible CG. It's great. Something very adorable about Gollum, even though he kind of is, you know, quite a snidey little character. I hate to see him get tortured. It's horrible. Man, the Black Riders, are they not like, just do they not embody evil and fear? I mean, they're fantastic. Like, I was, I was shaken up because the Black Riders were just so scary and stuff. And I always ask kids, actually, when I meet them and they talk to me about rings, I'm like, so did you find the Black Riders scary? And a lot of them try and put on a brave face, but I reckon, uh, I reckon the Black Riders really, they just embody fear, you know. And what's great is that they're ghosts, they're shadows of of who they were. You know, it's like if you don't confront your fear, you become it. But it cannot stay in the Shire. And that's one of the moments when Gandalf realises, despite his age, despite his experience, despite his knowledge, he doesn't have the same resource for success in this venture as uh, that little angelic-looking hobbit. Yes. It's great that you try all those things to kind of not take it though. Really hobbity. What's you that? Know, not to be a hero, not to say, what should I do straight away? Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. you do all the other options first, you know, you, you take, take it, it. Yeah. or somebody else take it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll bury it. <laughs> it can't stay here. <laughs> Ian was, you know, really, I mean, I, I remember when I first, when he first arrived in New Zealand and he was around, I kind of couldn't take my eyes off him. For a couple of months, <laughs> in a way, it was like even when his back was turned, he just sort of draws you in. It's like he's he's constantly switched on or something. You know, it's just his his presence is is very kind of 
mesmerizing and interesting. I mean, he's you know, uh, this is a an opportunity to work with the likes of Mr. McKellen and Mr. Holm and Mr. Lee. You know, I mean, they're they're in the history books in terms of life achievement in acting and 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 what they've done for characters and how they've brought them to life. So I couldn't have been more privileged and proud to be working with them. Where do you imagine he hits you, Sean? Right on the top of your head, shoulder, shoulder. Right. It was amazing when I saw when I saw this, and I just saw Sean. He was so funny. He was just so sensitive, sweet, and funny. I was so pleasantly surprised at, at the kind of the way that Sam had he portrayed Sam. You know, I mean, I you know when I was working with the Hobbits, I was normally working with their doubles. I mean, I hung out with the Hobbits all the time off set and stuff. But um, you know, I really didn't see a lot of what was going on, and I was just—he was so, so charming and um, and brave as that as that as that character. You know, I love that that sequence where he's thrown over the table. The exposition of the story so far is uh, told very neatly uh, in in the book, and it's clear that there are a number of years pass uh, between. What in the film seem to be events that are following very closely uh, on each other, but it could have been rather laughable that so much information is given so quickly. I think that was easily avoided because uh, I, as Gandalf and and uh, Elijah uh, as Frodo and and uh, Ian Holm as Bilbo, knew that what we were talking about was very very important, not just for our characters but for all the characters. Uh, who inhabit uh, Middle Earth? So what, what, once you say uh, it's the future of the world which is at stake, what seems on the face of the script to be simple exposition turns out to be uh, the matter a matter of life and death. Oh, I remember this day. This was fun. Yeah, that looks really cool. That was when we didn't have anything to shoot uh, up on the mountain. On it's oh, the north, northern Mount Owen. Yeah, no, no, right, northernmost part of the. Uh, All those days of playing cup. Oh, cup. oh yeah, cup was fun. Game. Cup, uh, by the way, is when you take a paper cup Dixie and cup. a Dixie cup uh, if you're American, mm. and <laughs> or a paper cup if you speak English, <laughs> and you you keep it up um, just by passing it to each other, which sounds quite boring. But if you're waiting for a, a helicopter for four days, yeah. it becomes the main way to pass the day. Hours. I would just like to say here that it's an original Dominic Monaghan game available online at my website. Um, uh, you can use different cups, but if you want, you can log on to my website and get an official cup cup. Thank you. Dominic Monaghan's CrazyGames.com. Another game called Nudge, which uh, Billy is a huge fan of. So if anyone wants me to, you know, get involved with game making, I'm uh, available. Speaking of game making, what, what was the name of the fake game that y'all tried to get me into? Oh, Tig, Tag, Tig, Tig, Tig. That was good. Oh my God. And and Tig, it was when we were filming Weathertop. And myself and Dom just started tigging each other, you know, touching each other and going, tig, tig, just like, for no reason. And then Sean came over. Slightly different from tag. And he came over and started doing it as well, tig. And then we'd say, tig, 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 tag, like, for no reason. Tom, tig. 
And uh, and then Elijah came over and said, "What are you guys doing?" I said, "Oh, we're playing a game uh, called Tig." And she said, "How do you play?" And then we spent like the next two hours mm. making up rules and and trying to teach me. And of course, I was getting everything wrong. Yeah. He couldn't, he couldn't follow the game, and the three of us were ever frustrated that he wasn't following these new rules that we would continue to make up. So we would play. The three of us were all constantly <laughs> getting it right. Every time Elijah tried a new way of tigging someone, we'd say, "No, Elijah, you can't tig on a tog. You can't <laughs> tag on a tig. You have to you have to do an elephant impression if you're going to tig Billy." And if, if Billy's going to take you back, you yeah. have to get on your knees and take your trousers down. <laughs> How many times, Elijah, you can't double take a tag? Yeah. You know, these kind of <laughs> and, and for like three weeks, he was saying uh, how much he enjoyed playing Tig and that he'd, uh, and, and the he wanted to get the rule book, didn't he? But do you remember that we forgot to say it was a wind up? Yeah. And it was like a year later, he says, Why do we never play Tig? <laughs> <laughs> and then they finally let it, the, 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 the tag out of the bag. My whole world came shattering down on me when they told me that that was a lie. Because yeah. for a whole year, I believed oh. that that was a real game, and then they told me that. Sorry, Elijah. Sorry, Elijah. <laughs> what else? What else was was not true? That's what I was asking. No, it undermines the integrity of the entire relationship. That's right. I, I agree. That's, that's what I think. It was part of the whole bonding experience, though. Yeah. Although me and Dom are actually just lies. Yeah. <laughs> big bag of lies. Not that big a bag. You hear his voice, saying. And Gandalf the Grey rides to Isengard bearing ill news. That was the original line. And Gandalf the Grey rides to Isengard seeking my counsel. They changed it, which I think was an improvement. It's Gandalf the Grey rides to Isengard seeking my counsel. For that is why you are here, is it not, my old friend? Or why you have come, is it not? my old friend. And just for that fleeting moment, there is the appearance of a reasonable man. Although he isn't a man, he appears to be, and in human shape. That is the only moment, and then when Gandalf starts to tell in the gardens at Isengard that the ring has resurfaced, then you can almost see the brain beginning to work. Now is his chance. The ring of power has been found. Within his fortress, the Lord of Mordor. I think Christopher Lee was very keen to, to play Gandalf at one point, wasn't he? But, um, just to be involved in the movie in any way. He's a massive fan of the book. Yeah. He knew the sort of sacred importance of the of the text to, to the people who loved the loved them for so long, loved mm. the books for so long. Christopher's performances are just magical. You know that Christopher, uh, I think, wrote to Tolkien so many times. It was one of his great dreams to play Gandalf. And I think, he, I, I think he may have actually had Tolkien's blessing to do that. He is um, such a remarkable actor. And, and there was once a time when, you know, he was the most recognizable actor in the world. Intellectually, of course, he is probably one of the brightest men on that production. He was a partisan, he fought with the partisans, you know, in World War II. He's an extraordinary brave man. He's, I mean, essentially he was SAS at that time. He has a range of reading and experience and a depth of thinking that very few actors that I know have ever had. Yeah, I definitely got nervous when he came around because I wanted to make sure that any pronunciations were as correct as they could be. And really? Yeah, absolutely. He had trouble getting around in his clothes, I remember. Mm -hmm. Well, they're long. They're long bulky. and flowy. I remember one, at one point he said, these, these clothes really are a menace. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. 
such a fantastic way of talking. Can't get up these goddamn stairs, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> it's very difficult for people to understand, unless they're told, that Saruman is not a human being, nor is Gandalf. They are immortal. What is never really explained is, when did Saruman begin to turn? We are told he was great, noble, powerful, kindly, decent, wise, all the positive characteristics that the, the ideal human being should possess. We are told that. Gandalf even says it. He was great once. But what we aren't told is when he turned. At some point, he believes that he can be more powerful than Sauron. I was pleased we were nominated by MTV as the best fight of the year. This is a mixture of, of the actors uh, and the very athletic uh, doubles who fall on their backs and so on. Uh, but if you ever get close to the character, it's me, and I think that's me sliding around on the floor. And certainly when um, Saruman twists me around uh, on the floor, that, that, that was me in, in a cradle with my legs um, held up by an invisible um, wire. There I go, that really is me, very painful indeed. And just off the set was a chiropractor, um, Steve Thompson, ready to help me with physiotherapy. That is not me going up into space. I don't know who it was. It took a long time. And we did a fair amount of it ourselves, falling onto the floor backwards and so on. I mean, not from a huge height. But we, we well, we got knocked about a bit. And uh, I had no idea what it was going to look like. I had no idea until I saw the film. Works very well, very well indeed. This is when I knew Dom didn't like me because he hit me so hard when he came out of the cornfield. <laughs> was it was my birthday this day? I was close to, I think. I was in a really bad mood this day because uh, being in a field surrounded by plants and, and things, I just got really bad hay fever and I was sneezing and my skin was going crazy, so I was in a yeah. very bad mood. Simple way of, of, of keep reminding the audience that the hobbits are smaller than human beings, but just having them walking around uh, under those heavy, the, the, those large plants. That's your here. Yeah. Stupid Sam! <laughs> I wasn't the one who stopped in the middle of the road. Well, we could have stayed up if you hadn't banged into us. This is the first, first day of filming. First shot we ever filmed in the movie, right? First day of filming. <laughs> yeah, Elijah let out a little Tommy squeaker. <laughs> That's a true story. Yeah. That is a very Elijah true Elijah had gas and it was, emitted no, a great... it was great pressure gas. It was pressure gas? Yeah. I mean, was, it wouldn't have come out if Dom wouldn't have landed on you? It was, yeah, exactly. But you got, I didn't even hear it. I was too busy sort of... Concentrating you know. on the scene. Uh, yes. Yeah. I actually blew a part in my hair. <laughs> <laughs> the translation there, it blew a part in his hair. Parting, parting. <laughs> part isn't funny. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's a nice reference to a chapter in the movie called A Shortcut to Mushrooms here where I say it was just a shortcut and Sam says a shortcut to what and then Billy says mushrooms. Which is Peter, uh, that's when I knew that Peter was really committed to making sure that the audience, that he put things in there that fans of the book would be able to sort of latch onto as a fun connection. Because yeah. when would you, when would the, the 
a chapter title be said and to work it into a, in the lines of the movie. Oh, this was the first shot we did, wasn't it? No, I thought Falling Down was the No, thing. Falling Down was the first was thing, the thing we first did. Thing we yeah. did? Yeah. No, I thought it was coming up over the... No, we did that later in the day. Oh, this was the first, still the first day of filming. Did you notice the boo-boo with the, uh, the horse? Yeah. How it kind of magically comes out of the tree. Yeah. You mean he doesn't pass from the other side? No. He, he comes from out, from out from the center. I don't know what's happening at the moment here, but I look really handsome. <laughs> <laughs> those, <laughs> those insert shots of the, uh, of the worms coming out were done months and months and months later where they had the stage with the uh, Lothlorien flats. That's right. And they out, did it on the out, side. And out on the other side, they were sort of, we were like, what are you doing with these sort of, it was like uh, some sort of National Geographic. They had a yeah. wedding there as well. I don't know why they've not included more of the spider because the spider goes over my shoulder. I then put him in my hand and then I put him on a log and I don't know why they didn't include that. It was uncomfortable under there, wasn't it? We were yeah. all sort of elbowing each other for space. It was quite cold as well. And I remember because it was the first day. Did we? We didn't have feet on that day, I don't think, did we? Did we? Yeah, we did. No, yeah, we, we did. did. No, we didn't because I remember you took your boots off, Sean, to get the kind of oh, feeling of right. the. And then we, and then I think we all thought, oh, we're hobbits. We better take our boots off. But it was really cold. Mm. <laughs> oh, so I, th I think for, your feet well, were colder shot, than anybody's through the duration of the shoot. For the shot of us jumping over, we had feet. Yeah, so it must have been. The next day the when next we... Day, Do you remember this? The ground was so slippery that we were falling over. Sean, you fell on your, on your face a couple. It was of times, raining yeah. here, yeah. It was That's raining, right. and we had our the slippery shoes feet. were flying off, and our feet. Were and remember, off. once we got to the end of the run. That we couldn't actually get back up the hill to get yeah. to the start again. People had to carry us up and right. stuff. That's right. No traction whatsoever. I love that little bit there. The first real interaction between Fro Frodo and Merry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I always like that. Day for night. I have to leave the shot that in the day. Here we go. Best line in the movie right now. Right? right. Buckleberry Ferry, follow me. Oh, that was. Just, I mean, that's breathtaking. It was Her it's Harrison Ford, basically. Yeah. This was kind of scary. Hey, guys. They had that horse up on the little dance floor yeah, that they built the in the forest. And the coolest was the Buckleberry Ferry, though. Yeah. I acquired a very, very painful splinter when we did the Buckleberry Ferry thing. Did you? Yeah, I was nearly hospitalized. Do you not remember that? Just here. He was in tears. He was sweating. He almost fainted. Yeah. And it was about the size of, of a house. <laughs> it was like it was like half the size of a, a matchstick. Yeah, but uh, I think it was made of platinum or something. Good jump. Oh, good jump. Thank good thank jump. You. So that was the second take because the first take he actually jumped right over the um, barge and Landed fell in the water. In the but water, I did a, a fantastic swan dive. Yeah, it was great. Eight point five. Remember this? It was a belly flop. This ferry kept sinking as well. And nobody could figure out how to put it together. And then Barry Osborne, our producer, who was like a military guy, an army guy in the Korean War or something, he comes out with his army manual and he's like, okay, let's figure it out. And Barry single-handedly repaired Buckleberry Ferry. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, and the horse fell in the water with the guy. Yeah. And the, yeah? No. Yeah, he, the really? horse was, was drowning. It was like kicking and everything else. He lifted, helped him out. That's a new addition to the story. Yeah. yeah. This reminds me of, of, of uh, Dickens or David Lean's version of Dickens. And I... I you know, the mud, the old buildings, the, the shadows. Very wet and cold this day. <laughs> I remember this day. This is a fantastic shot. Tell them the, the story behind that, mate. My um, idea. <laughs> well, tell them. It's fantastic. I just thought of something else where um, 
Billy and I turned up a couple of hours earlier, and it was it wasn't dark yet. We were, we were waiting for the light to dim, and there was all golf balls in the ground <laughs> <laughs> in the ground that were there to map out oh, certain no. people's movements and all this kind of stuff. And I turned around to Bill and I said, "Look, there's some golf balls over there, Bill. I'm going to have one." I just went over, picked up a golf ball, and walked off. And Billy was saying, "No, put it back." <laughs> There for a reason, Dom. <laughs> what people don't understand is Merry and Pippin are completely um, changed round. It's like a mirror image in real life. <laughs> Dom, Dom and me, are, I'm like Merry and he's Pippin. <laughs> hey, do we miss Peter's cameo? Uh, yeah, we just did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is in the studio in Wellington. So With the big rigs, which they didn't ultimately use very much. Yeah, there's well, a guy called Paul, who, uh, a guy called Paul was, um, who doubled for virtually everyone. They had a costume, and he was like seven foot four or something. Good evening, little masters. What can I do for you? If you're good evening, little masters, he says. Now this guy walking by us is actually a five foot tall female gymnast on stilts, dressed as a man, called Becky. Yeah, Rebecca Fitzgerald. She was also the front of the horse. In some scenes, when we used a pantomime horse, when remember that? That's right. Or build the pony. Build the pony. Yeah. Pony. 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 <laughs> this guy was an interesting guy. This was all shot in Wellington. Pointy hat. Haven't seen him in years. Oh shit. <laughs> Sorry. How many times have you seen this? This always looks weird to me, this bit. Why do we all lean in at the same time? I'm completely blocking you with my shadow. we're little yeah. hobbits out of our element and we're, we're huddling for a conference. Mm. Yeah. What is it about cheese and bread that hobbits love? So I don't know, it's good though. I like that <laughs> cheese and bread. Great faces in this bar. What's that? Once again, I don't know what's happening here, but Billy and I look really handsome. Some strange Some cinematography strange. going on there. May have this been the digital grading. Did they just add a shot of a cat in there? Yeah. No, that's that was in there. in the movie? Yeah. I wonder how many innocents buying that plane tickets to New Zealand in the hope of visiting the Prancing Pony or these other sites long since destroyed or collected away for some museum feature maybe eventually, but... Uh, there's very little evidence of Middle Earth in, in New Zealand now, or the Middle Earth of the movie. Strider. Great introduction of Vigo here. I think this is possibly one of the coolest entrances to a movie ever. He wasn't here when you did this, right? This is no, this is no, blue screen. Blue screen pass. And this was quite early in the shoot, wasn't it? Yeah. Vigo, he's like a hero of mine now. Such a generous actor, such a fantastic guy to work with. You know, he's so brilliant. Um, his attention to detail, his his focus and his um, work ethic, you know, the way he kind of puts everything he's got into his role. And he was great, because this was my first experience on a film, and he just um, was a fantastic guide, you know? Those shots of um, Frodo's hands revealing that he bites his nails are very touching. Uh, brave of, of Elijah to reveal that he bites his nails right down to the quick. Uh, except, uh, I said to him one day, you, do, do not mind people knowing that you bite your nails. No, no, no. He just smiled. No. And those ring rays screechings, it's just mm, like, just wow. behind me. Yeah. 
actually when Peter, who would act out all of the different parts and all of the different yeah. monsters and everything else to try and get us to have a sense of what it was we were supposed to be afraid of, would do that screeching sound. And I would always sort of wonder, you know, th- what the actual sound would sound like when it was finally done, because he had such a specific... Yeah, and it sounded exactly like it, actually. Yep. Just, you know, more. I, w- I wonder if the uh, audience was uh, asked... Uh, Who's the oldest of the of the, uh, the four hobbits? Whether they would guess it was uh, Billy Boyd, that very very youthful looking man in his early thirties. Convincingly playing against Elijah, who celebrated his eighteenth birthday uh, during the shooting. One of the very few scenes that we actually did rehearse. There are only a few that we actually went through. And this is in Stone Street Studios, yeah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Studio B? It's in Studio yeah. B? That's right, yeah? Yeah. I was so terrifying in this scene that Vigo was really genuinely nervous. He I was, wasn't he? Yeah. Are, you, are you sure that's true? Mm. <laughs> and right outside this room, because uh, that's the, 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 the smaller sized room, was the bigger sized little that's portion. That's right, yeah. For the hobbits. For the hobbits to be on. These guys had a terrible time trying to get these horses through this mud. I remember. The mud was really thick. Really bad, yeah. This is a great shot. Mm. I love the way evil just follows them around, you know? Everything's cold around them, everything's dark. Mm. Very cool. There's That's a, an attractive a, shot of you, Don. Well, yeah, well, I had my mouth up, and there's a separate uh, take of me sucking my thumb. Which, which Pete, is coming up. Pete just wouldn't put in. But did, I wonder if he took it out of this version. I think he did, you know. Why? I thought that was such a great little addition. Maybe it was a bit too over the top. I don't know if Mary would really suck his thumb. I never understood why they didn't just no, go across the street again. to get us. They don't know we're on the other side of the street. You see them stabbing the pillows, and you really think, oh my god, they've got them. They're probably saying to each other, oh, the hobbits are just pillows. They're just pillows. <laughs> <laughs> Who'd have thought it? They become feathers <laughs> when you stab them. How can he carry a ring if he's just made of feathers? I remember having a slight laughing fit when we did this scene because I was so close to you. Just leaning further and further into you. Do you notice at the beginning of that shot you can actually see me move back into frame? Because remember I had to start out? Because the camera, that's right. To make room for the camera? To pass so close in front of you. Works though, it works. It does work. It does work. Your eye, it's too quick unless you stop and look at it. Your eye doesn't catch it. I've seen it too many times. I pick it up every time. And you were there when you did it. This is true. Well, so are you. This is quite late on, right? The horse stepped on my prosthetic foot and ripped off my toes this day. <laughs> I stepped on glass that day and didn't know until the end because my foot was so numb. It's great, this kind of division with the, with the hobbits uh, and, and Aragorn at the moment, or Strider mm. at the moment. Still don't know whether they should trust him, but they have no choice. Well, I remember in, this, in the marshes scene that's coming up, I was to be leading... Bill the pony through the marshes, but they couldn't put the horse in the marshes because I mean, it was hard enough for us to get out of it. It was, and they didn't want the horse to get stuck. Well, look at there it is. But but in one horse. of the but it was a fake horse, and in one of the close-ups, I have the rope leading it, and just behind me, just out of frame, is uh, another guy holding the rope up. So I was sort of leading one of the grips. <laughs> now this we could talk about forever. 
the oh, snow. The is snow. The day, is this the day we actually got snowed out? Yeah, we yeah. showed up in the morning. No snow on the ground. Not even a cloud. I mean, the clouds were just starting to form. And by three hours into it, it was the biggest snowstorm I've ever seen. This yeah, me too. I believe, actually, this was the day after. The day a- this the, What's in here is the day after, the but day we started after. filming it without the snow. That's right. And we actually filmed in the snow with the biggest snowflakes I've ever seen. Yeah. It was like it would cover your whole... One flake would lay over your whole hand. I actually thought there were scale uh, snowflakes. I thought it was <laughs> because of the hobbits. <laughs> oh, Ooh, that, that must have that hurt. hurt. Well, that was about the 15th. <laughs> it was starting to hurt then, yeah. And Vigo was actually throwing the apples. Hard. And, and he seemed to be really, really enjoying it, I thought. Oh, Midge wants marshes. Oh, we got stuck in here. I'm glad they put the marshes back in. So do I, because it was just hell. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. Was that a mm-hmm in unison? That was horrible, wasn't it? Oh, and you, Billy. And your prosthetic feet would start to get ripped, you know, ripped off. And, and um... Look at this, this is outrageous. Sean Aston actually pushed me uh, when I fell into the water there. I he was said he was trying to, to help. help you. I don't think so. <laughs> pushed you right down. He pushed me. I think that the thing that I want to get across to people most about Vigo that I think is important for people to know, um, because it's, it's something that astonished me to no end, was um, he was cast on this movie. Um, so fast, like they, they, you know, there was a whole controversy with this, with another actor cast as Aragorn, and it didn't work out, and he was let go within the first couple of days of filming. Within that first week of filming, our schedule called for Aragorn, and we didn't have an Aragorn. It was a decision that was made to call Vigo and get Vigo, and it was one of those things where it wasn't like, well, let's try him out. Let's the he will be perfect kind of thing. It was it, amazing how it worked out. He got the call, talked to them on the phone for hours, and agreed to do it. Uh, apparently, from what he says, greatly due to his son pushing him to do it because his son was a big fan of Lord of the Rings. I like what Christopher Lee's doing with his fingers. Mm. They look inhuman. Mm. On that particular day... Um, Christopher had hurt his hand about three or four days previous. Got it He'd closed in a stuck in a in a door. door. Yeah, and he had to go to the hospital and have what you know skin grafts and all the like. God. And uh, that's why he had to cover his hand for that particular shot. Mm. Looks good. Wonderful shot of the tree falling over there, and a very telling um, one for anyone who knows New Zealand, where the battle rages as to as to whether the virgin forests, which have been encroached on, of course, ever since human beings uh, moved into New Zealand only 800 years ago and, and began to um, farm there and have their sheep roaming. Uh, it, it can still be headlines uh, in the local newspapers as to whether a tree or forest should should be um, should be pulled down. And uh, Peter Jackson is playing with something that uh, he and his countrymen care a great deal about. This I love the whole theme of the, the way the industrialists are tearing apart the uh, the mm. earth oh, and yeah. for their own kind of you know mm. just a totally heartless and, and uncaring way and mm. cautionary tale of industrialism for its own end. I, I just love and it comes through strong and the, really you does, see the yeah. tree getting ripped down. Yeah, it's cold up there. 
This was all blue screen. This was the great watch. Not all blue screen. No, that, that, well, that shot of uh, just the little the bit on the top that looks so rounded. Yeah. But there's a mountain. Roughly. All this stuff. Yeah. That. Yeah. Wonder which shots are mats as well, because there's a lot of matte paintings in the film, and I no one's really pointed that out to me. These are for you. Keep them close. I'm going to have a look. That's my favorite line in the movie. Uh, as he throws me the sword, I go. Stay here. <laughs> Is that a line? Well, it's your suggestion towards a line. It's an utterance. I don't think I can. I remember I had to redo this in looping because it was so American. Really? What are you doing? I, I actually literally said, "What are you doing?" <laughs> what are you I had doing? one like that back in the uh, in the forest when we were running and. And Roisin Cartier, the uh, the number two dialect coach, came up to me, and my line was, get down. And Sam is supposed to say, you know, Frodo, get down. And she came up to me and said, uh, Sean, that that was lovely. That, that one went a little bit, get down. Get down. Get down. The shot previous where the hobbits pull out all the swords and oh. turn around is actually uh, the rehearsals were responsible for one of the funniest things that I've ever seen Dom <laughs> do. Uh, <laughs> And they, I they, swear they, you to can't, God, I, mean, I mean, if they're not going to see... We, no, well, it's all right to make reference. We uh, we replayed that thing how many times? Like oh, 30 like, times? Yeah. Yeah, and they were really mad with us because we were crying. We were making it. We were taking too long. And it was just Dom forgetting to do his exit, and then when he does remember, he does this double take, which is so funny. <laughs> it's, a mo it's a moment of realization. Oh, yeah. my God, it's my turn. It's my I'm turn. supposed to be going. <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh, great shot. The use of slow motion in this movie is beautiful. Now you have to remember, between these shots, we were teaching Elijah how to play Tig. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Keep that at, at the back of your mind. The lie. This is very early on in the shooting. That hurt, by the way, that landing on that rock. A lot of practice for sword fighting for me uh, for this sequence, uh, and I, I don't think there is any sword fighting. You drop, you drop the sword the first time you get a chance to use it. I swear, there were weeks and weeks of practice. That's the big man, he's clocked you. With Bob Anderson, the world-class swordmaster. This is right. Taught Errol Flynn and... Now that's Vader. pathetic, Star Elijah. Vader. Why couldn't you just get up and go, man? Well, there's this bit where he's got to put the ring on. Oh, great sound. Mm. I remember all the descriptions of what the Wraith world would be like when you had the ring on, and I couldn't wait to see the movie to see how they do it, and it's just awesome. Well, yeah. they were still really trying to f figure out what it was themselves. And the eye as well. The eye was one of the last things to be designed. And you knew Peter had a clear vision of what he wanted and sort of faith that ultimately would get there, but it was, it was tedious. I mean, over months and months and months, you were like, wow, what is it really going to look like? How yeah. are they going to do it? Oh. Nice reaction. Thanks. Now, this is the oh. first time that we ever interacted with Vigo. In the filming? Yeah. Yeah. That's I think it was the first time I'd ever met Vigo. Really? I met him on set in Weathertop. You know, that was Vigo's first day on set. That sequence up there, that was his first day on set, and it was just like, he got off a plane, and like, I think within two days, he was like, to get in and start doing, um, doing this fight sequence stuff with those, defending the hobbits up there, just great. He taught me so much just in being around him and seeing him work at how to, the, you know, it's like, it's, it's your job as an actor to, to know exactly, you know, we would shoot a scene from the movie and, and, and at the end of that scene, say, Vigo would end up with his hand on his sword, like looking out to the distance. At the end of that shot, that would be his last stance. A week later, we might have shot the following sequence. At the beginning of that sequence, Vigo would be standing there with his hand on his sword, you know. 
he'd be like, so hang on a minute, where was we, where were we last? Okay, we were there. Okay, this is what I was doing. You know, I mean, so what that allows Pete to be able to do is to use all of that moment where, you know, because like for some actors, maybe they'd come out, the next scene they'd shoot it, they'd just have the hand there, you know what I mean? With their sword out, but they'd, he'd allow Pete to be able to use every moment. It was just oh, brilliant. Which you see on the screen. The whole of Baradur, the whole of Orthanc, these incredible shots where the camera's up in the stratosphere, coming down towards Orthanc, and you see all round, lit up by the fires of the cauldrons and the forges, all these figures working away, working away, all for me. This was all done by Weta. Yeah, the miniature sets just, I mean, they're just a credit, aren't they? Look at this. When you, and then you know, it's not only what they did with the miniatures, but it's the way that they filmed it as well. The way they just, literally, it's as if they just dropped a camera into sometimes, you know, when it just drops down and it, they really used it amazingly. I didn't Some actually, miniatures. remember we visited? Yeah. In pickups, all that time, we I had never gone anywhere. I knew what the they were doing, and I had talked about going to look at it, but it was like we were so busy. So when we finally went back, we were able to see what they had, were accomplishing. And it's just, uh, I mean, it, it's the, everybody always talks about how great the computer effects are, and they are, mm. but the miniatures are just the, the sort of, the unsung, brilliant, you know, component to this movie that I just think makes it work. I agree. And Richard Taylor, who, you know, runs Weta, the special effects company, the, the, um, the sheer volume of special effects that they turned out. I mean, I think they said something like Weta was the single, the company was the single largest orderer or purchaser of foam latex in the in world. The world. Yep. Uh, to, for creating all of these masks and different mm. props and everything else. This is great. And I didn't, I didn't get it when I was reading it that when they said it, it goes by quickly. He's crossing orcs and goblins. And Moria goblins. Goblins. Yeah. It's it's go, it's Goblin orcs man, and yeah. go, uh, goblins and orcs. Yeah. And I was like, what does that mean? Crossing? Or he's literally crossbreeding. Yeah, yeah. It's like the first thing he does is he's born and he kills. You know? Isn't that incredible? And Saruman just says, no, let him kill him. That's the first thing he does. He comes out of that sleep and kills. Look at the look on Christopher Lee's face. He just adores this character. It's brilliant. It's like his child. Ah, uh, this is, um... They put it back in with the cave trolls. The Bilbo's, Bilbo's trolls. trolls. A great homage. Look, Frodo. Ah, oh, fantastic. It's that a great homage to The Hobbit. I think when we were filming that, I had just read The Hobbit for the first time yeah. and, and knew what it was that we were seeing. That fantastic sequence where... Yeah, where Gandalf tricks the, the trolls into, you know, arguing with each other instead until of... Sunrise. Uh, until sunrise. Until sunrise, well, instead of eating the dwarves stone. in Bilbo and they turn to stone, yeah. Yeah. And there they are, so, like, we're passing through. I love that. I bet it is a weed. Mm-hmm. It's no Buckleberry Fairy shot, but that's a pretty cool shot. I mean, come on. Mm, it's pretty good. Oh, Ranger, I love what Liv's done to her voice in this. Mm. She sounds a lot older. Doesn't she? It's very elven. It's a pretty phenomenal entrance to a movie as well, is it not? It's amazing. When she got off the plane, she was glowing like that. And I sort of thought, wow. I mean, <laughs> that's a commitment. 
This is the point in the film where all the men kind of go, oh, wait, hang on, <laughs> hang on, sit up straight, eh? concentrate. This was interesting because this was one of those moments where they were shooting in slow motion, which meant that while I was speaking my Elvish, I had to speak it faster, which was really confusing, <laughs> um, so that it would match up time-wise. We shot this sequence twice. It was one of my first scenes that we did. And then later on in pickups, one of the last that we did. And we added some new w lines in, like, we must get him to my father. And it's really just to establish the connection and the, the, the you know, it's mysterious because you don't understand their connection, yes, but the trust that they have and the understanding that they have together that he trusts her to safely get Frodo to safety. And this was really funny when I said Neuralim, Asfalaf, Neuralim, and then I would kind of kick the horse and he would go forward, but because he was a stallion, he was so feisty, and every time I would be going, Aah! and he'd be sort of taking off, because it was a little stage, it was like a small set, it wasn't a lot of space, and he would just sort of start bolting out into the middle of the sound stage with me on his back, which was terrifying. I spent a lot of time learning how to ride, and um, I love horses, I adore them, but I find it very difficult being actually on top of them, considering that they're a lot bigger and stronger than I am. And I was actually terrified, even when I was just on the back of the, the truck rig, um, and they would have th them actually chasing me. It was absolutely terrifying. They were really convincing and scary. That is the, not actually Elijah, but at times it's Kieran, his scale double, and at other times it was actually just a puppet. Um, I'm not sure what it was made out of, but it would whack me in the lip all the time. That was kind of painful. <laughs> Incredible horse riding, by the way. Amazing. Mm. Very brave horsewoman. What was her name again? Jane? Jane Avett. And this is the sequence when it comes into close-up that was shot on the stage where I wasn't really looking at anyone but a golf ball. Um, and Kieran was sitting in my lap and he had this mask of Elijah on his face and someone was sitting off to the side and they, in order to make it look real, they used this little remote control to make the eyes open and close. So all I could hear was, I'm trying to do my lines. <laughs> And then I'd hear Kieran's cackle. He's like, ha, 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 underneath. I love what Liv's doing here as well. Mm. You mean conjuring a herd of horses out of the water? Yeah, just her performance is so good. I never had any references. I was just completely pretending. This was one of the last effect shots that was completed in the film. So I didn't ever get to see this until I actually went to see the film for the first time. This was actually included in a, in a, a little pickup here. I think they wanted to see really just how sick Frodo was and how, how much she had invested in getting him back to Rivendell to save him. Um, to just show that moment so that it was really, you know, the, the, the audience could really feel 
just how actually important and scary this moment was. And Elijah um, originally wasn't going to be able to be there for me in the scene. It was going to be Kieran, and we somehow made the camera angle work so that I could actually have Elijah there with me so I could look at him and act with him in that moment, and that really helped me a lot. And it is 10 o'clock in the morning on October the 24th. I beg to keep that line straight from Tolkien uh, so precise. Uh, and I also begged to keep him smoking in the, what is actually a hospital bedroom. You really shouldn't do that, but that's uh, what Tolkien has Gandalf doing in the book, so he does it in the movie. There's an interesting moment in all of this later on. There's a moment where he's with Sam, and he kind of looks off out into over Rivendell, and you don't ever see what he's looking at. And we'd shot a sequence where he sees me, and I look up at him, and Aragorn comes and meets me, and you see us have this kind of tender moment and then walk away. But that little moment didn't end up in the film, so... Now, I'd never met Ian, so I had no idea what he was going to be like. Naturally, he's a very amusing man, great sense of humor, and a very nice man. It's an awful phrase, really, to say that somebody's nice. It suggests that sort of wimpish, you know, but when I say nice, I mean... He's a very decent person. He's a very fine actor, and he was tremendously supportive as far as I was concerned. Encouraging, helpful, and a constant companion, you might say. And that happens very, very rarely. That's why I say, as far as I'm concerned, he's the most cooperative, encouraging, a helpful actor I think I've ever worked with, and I've worked with some very great ones. Eagles, Tolkien's obsession with eagles. Eagles always mm. seem to save the day, you know, in The Hobbit and late here and later on in Lord of the Rings. Eagles are very, very prominent. When I suggested to Sean that he took uh, Elijah's hand, it was because I thought anyone who knew the book would care about the deep friendship, often of a innocently physical nature, and that that might be missed by two resolutely uh, heterosexual actors who mightn't appreciate that gay people like myself uh, saw in a touch something perhaps more meaningful than uh, others might. And so to persuade him to, to touch uh, Elijah, I'd say, well, look, it's in the book. Ian was brought the book over to me right before we shot it, and he said, now look here. It says that Sam runs over and grabs Frodo's hand. He said, the fans of the book are going to want to see that. And I sort of, I, I believed it. And I got a fan letter the other day that a, a neighbor friend handed to me, and it said how much it meant to her that the uh, that Sam holds Frodo's hand at that moment because it's, it was something that she, it was one of the most important moments to her in the book. Oh, that's uh, fantastic. So thank it's you, those Ian. subtle little nuances, man. That's unbelievable. You can't fake the the friendship that is self-evident amongst those uh, four young actors. They were just a team. And when I first saw Ian home in, in, in his old makeup, he was thrilled to bits. He said, "Look at this! Look what they've done." Uh, he refused to wear a mask, uh, which I think was an original idea. He, he wanted the it, the paint and the and the and the, the prosthetics to be actually on his skin. I took one look at him, I said, 
but Ian, you look exactly like Judy Dench's mother. I think there's just, I mean, isn't it incredible the transformation that he's made from that young Bilbo Hobbit to this, this incredibly sort of aged and weathered Hobbit who now no longer possesses the ring. I just, he's, he's a magical actor. We had a barbecue. We'd, we'd always have barbecues and all sorts of sort of get-togethers, and there, there was a barbecue round at Billy's house, and and um, I kind of met Ian for the first time there, and he said, "Here for 18, what are you going to do when this is over? You know, and you have to go back to reality." And I said, "Well, what's reality?" And he said, "Yeah, I suppose so." He was like, "It's wherever you are and stuff." We had this. He's such a he's such a sort of. Um, beautifully eccentric kind of man and he's got so many kind of words of pearls of wisdom and stuff and it was great to talk about like the surreal reality that we were living in out there you know Frodo deciding to uh, to let go of his responsibility of the ring which I think is really important it just makes that kind of moment where he takes it at the council that much stronger yeah Frodo and Sam realize that they miss the Shire, they want to go home, and Frodo realizes that, uh, you know, his time with the ring could be could be over, and, and he realizes that, you know, he wants to give it up and, and go back to the Shire. It does a couple of things. For me, it shows that Sam is just so enamored with the idea of the elves when he first hears about them from Gandalf's stories and when, when Frodo tells him, expound, expands on that. And, and so the idea that he's actually in an elf paradise is, uh, is extraordinary for him, especially once Frodo's healed and, and they can really just enjoy what it's like to be among the elves, walking among them and talking to them and wearing their clothes. And, and, uh, but, but to see that Sam is sort of like, that, that's all well and good, but it's really time to go home now. It just shows that it must... Uh, the journey's really started to take its toll, and and um, for Frodo to, um, it also shows what a huge decision it is when you step in, when you intervene in the council, mm. and they're all bickering among Just themselves. Makes that a bit heavier and and uh, much more profound. When he decides to take the responsibility and, and and take the ring again, because you see clearly that it's it's something that he does want to let go of. Mm-hmm. I love how Rivendell is in in. Can, a constant autumn as well, mm. as, as sort of the passing of the um, the golden age of the elves. Their time is coming to an end. Oh, here he comes! Hey! It was quite strange, really, because we came together as a group of individuals who didn't know anything or knew very little about each other, and uh, we began to, you know, f- form a trust and a friendship between each other, similar to what happened. Um, in the film with the Fellowship, you know, at first people are slightly suspicious of each other's motives, and at Boromir certainly is suspicious and doubtful of these, of this sort of motley crew. And uh, he learns throughout the film; he goes on a quite a fascinating learning curve, um, and he learns to trust these people and realise that you've got to accept and respect their cultures and ideologies. My entrance to the film, that first shot. I had to sort of glide off the horse. I, it was, you know, I was talking about the physicality and I really wanted just to pop off the horse as if it had just, I'd done it a million times before. And then we tried a few different looks of like, looking like, looking like really, as I, as I look around at Rivendell, looking at it with like joy and with like, I'm almost as if it's like a home from home. And then with like steely kind of fear about what was, um, you know, what I was here to talk about. And it was, uh, yeah. 
I remember. Hugo uh, Weaving is uh, an actor after my own heart. Uh, he, he, he enjoys working on stage as much as he does uh, on film. And uh, we had long chats together uh, between takes about uh, being a theatre actor in Australia and uh, a theatre actor in the United Kingdom. And yet here we were in this... Uh, American financed uh, movie uh, in New Zealand. We were both uh, foreigners, but uh, kindred spirit. If either of us looks a little frowningly bewildered, it's because we weren't always entirely sure of what we were going to say next. We found it difficult to learn this scene. It's so much information. I hope our concern looks particular rather than generalised. This is the first time that Aragorn and Boromir meet and uh, there's a certain tension in the scene that uh, they're still testing each other out and uh, there's a lot of respect for each other, I think, even at this point, you know, but uh, two similar men in some ways, courageous, heroic and compassionate. I'm friend to Gandalf the Grey. I think he's slightly... Uh, it unsettles him, you know, when it, it falls to the ground and he, he stops and he's unsure whether to go back and pick it up or <laughs> and give it the respect it, it deserves, but he's very dubious and very doubtful about the whole thing anyway, but... Uh, it's quite an interesting moment when he does fall to the ground and it sort of says something, you know. And in this moment, this is Aragorn really feeling the weight and the pressure and just thinking about um, his ancestors and, and what he is and what he, his destiny really, what he, the weight of what he is going to become. And I was supposed to slowly kind of creep up on him, but my dress was a complete beaded gown, and it uh, was dragging down, had a kind of a train that drug on the floor, and I was supposed to kind of just appear slowly like an elf, just floating along, but my dress was like... <laughs> <laughs> it was really hard for me to concentrate, but of course, with the, the power of cinema, they've completely deleted the sound of that. And this is, you know, another moment of seeing how much hope Arwen has. I think it's so hard for Aragorn to give in. You know, he wants to love her and he wants to be with her, but what that means is so painful also at the same time for her to leave her people to be with him, which means that they will eventually both die. But she's saying, I'd rather have a very small amount of time to share those beautiful things with you than forever miserable not having lived that experience. It's interesting because it's really hard, you know, she's, in the next film you see her really trying to fight to keep this great decision that she wants to be with him and she, you know, I choose a mortal life, that's what she says, and you see her really fighting to hold on to that choice because her father and Galadriel, everyone's trying to tell her that, that she can't do that, that men don't love as Elfkind do, and, 
And that's the kind of rebellious streak in, in Arwen that I, I really love and relate to so much. And the idea that, you know, she's over 3,000 years old and that what you have to see and feel and go through in 3,000 years, I mean, 10 years, 20 years, you see and feel so much pain, but to live for that long. And I, I wanted to play her with a feeling of, of innocence that though she's lived through all of that and and seen so much pain and so much beauty that she can still give herself over completely to this moment and to this relationship with this man. Uh, the the scene Aaron. that took five days to yeah. shoot. This was a long shoot. <laughs> oh, man. Very stressful. Lots of dwarfs in costumes, five and a half hours in makeup, you know. It feels like we all knew each other's lines by the end of it because we did it that many times. I think you must have said those lines like 500 times over or something or more. It was something ridiculous. Bring forth the ring. Narrative challenge to like introduce all these new characters so and explain what's going on and deal with the. I mean, it's. I mean, uh, even in the book, it's a it's a difficult chapter. I think. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think this is the point where Boromir realizes that this ring has got a great pull on him, and I think this is the first time he's seen it, as we, as as have we all. But even here, he he can't resist resist it. I think Boromir is, is, is suspicious. I think his nature, he's, he's quite suspicious of other races or other cultures of people because he's had to, he's, him and his family and his father have had to be at the forefront of war and they've had to be realistic about things. So I think Boromir at the beginning is slightly, you know, cynical about all these special powers. I think he feels it's something that could be used as a weapon, you know, as he, um, it's, there's this power there, that is, this power is used wisely, and this could um, solve solve these problems that we're having. Um, and the last thing he wants to do is to see it destroyed, you know. He, he believes, I, I think as we all believe, that we can, we can manage the ring, we can overcome its powers, but you can't, you, it's just, it sort of creeps up on you, very subtle and corrupts you. I think these additions uh, reversing back to what we actually filmed uh, is an improvement in this scene and uh, the black speech part of it. That's a trick I use over and over again, bringing the staff across my face. I, <laughs> it feels good to do that. It gives a bit of movement even though the, the character's actually still... You know, I don't know if they, I mean, I'm sure the audience appreciates it, appreciates it, but I mean, all of the the background in this, these sort of um, stone carvings and everything, I mean, in any part of any frame that you sort of analyze, if you freeze it and, and look at it, the level of detail and artistry and the set design and the costumes and the props and everything is just so, um, it's just unbelievable. If you were only able to, um, with something like this, actually magnify the image, uh, so that you can actually see uh, a close-up of, of those details. Council of Rivendell's first point, you actually see uh, Gimli, and, uh, and basically he's come because partly he's been summoned and partly be, he's been sent. Uh, he comes very suspicious of the intentions of particularly of the elves. A and the dwarves are paranoid to a certain extent, hostile to a great extent, um, xenophobic uh, as well. 
they're there because they, they, they don't wish to give the elves an advantage rather than uh, because they perceive of the great threat of Mordor, I think. And I think as far as Gimli's concerned, it's, it's the moment that he encounters the ring with his axe that he begins to have some idea that he's up against something that is desperately powerful. Because, I mean, he may be a dwarf, but when he swings that axe, you know, it, it could take, it could cleave an orc in two or, uh, you know, it, it's a powerfully, it's a powerful weapon, powerfully swung, and that it actually has not the slightest effect on the ring. Really shakes him. One of you must do this. I love the way he says, one of you must do this. Well, why don't you do it, mate? <laughs> This page and a half of dialogue was sort of given to me on the on the day, <laughs> on the morning that we started actually filming it. So I was I was just trying to remember these uh, weird names and these. Uh, so I, I sort of managed to get it in the end, but uh, it was certainly a struggle. <laughs> but then again, it gives it, it gives it some sort of spontaneity. You know, it's good, to, it's good not to learn. You know, I think it's always good not to know something too well because it can easily. Big cups sound familiar and, and um, predictable. It's good to have a little bit of uncertainty. And I was uncertain. <laughs> you know, it, uh, as actors, you can be working on the most sublime material, you know, written by William Shakespeare, let's say, and because you, you say these lines over and over again in various situations when you're hungry or tired, you, 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 can, you can find the whole process uh, ludicrous and, and find yourself giggling and... Sometimes when I see an actor like uh, Hugo being so convincingly concerned about uh, Gimli, son of Gloin, you <laughs> you're very close to parody, but uh, not when you just see it uh, for the first time as an audience. Yeah, the argument scene was a bit... It was strange because I really didn't feel like um, an elf, you know, like Legolas would, would drop himself to a base level of, you know, arguing with these other other races and yet we needed to get something across and and so then I had this thing of you know just sticking my hands out as if to sort of you know just relax my my fellow elves yeah you needed that kind of conflict in order to make this moment play right here with Frodo which is so great I do not know the way Frodo's agreeing to be the ring bearer here we go here's the forging of the fellowship it's great now they form up as a fellowship. It's really, hero you know, real boy's own stuff in it, heroic. And my axe. <laughs> that moment of just like, oh god, not the dwarf. I thought that the w the one way we could keep the tension between the elf and the dwarf for as long as possible was for me to be a slight bit standoffish with him so that he wouldn't fall into that trap that that young actors <laughs> and old actors frequently do. Because you like the actor you're playing with, you actually play with a little less tension sometimes or a little less of a dagger to the throat. Actually, in, in truth, it wasn't necessary. I, I mean, he, he grew so much as an actor as he went, uh, as he went through the piece. And it was, uh, it, it was a joy to behold it. Yeah, you know, it's funny because people always talk about, oh, so you must have formed a great relationship with John Rhys Davies and everything. And I, and I did, yeah, I love John. He's a great guy. But really, I did most of my work with Brett Beatty 
because of the scale issue. You know, I mean, John's about three three inches taller than I am. 